What's going on, B-Podcast listeners? Happy New Year. I hope the holiday season was full of reminders to stay on earth and be the reason that someone smiles. I'm your host, Cami Milliken, and I just wanted to remind you to rate and review our pod on Apple or Spotify. So since I took a break in between season two and season three, all of our reviews are gone. So I was like super surprised to have discovered that. Um, And obviously I'm bummed, but I know that with your help, all the reviews that we get henceforth uh, will definitely maximize our audience. So Uh, The more reviews that we have, um, the more likely it is that others will find our podcast. So if there aren't any reviews, there aren't as many chances for people to find our stories and listen to them. So yeah, I would really appreciate your help in doing that. Make sure you just take a second and write a review, uh, rate, whatever it is that you can do. That would be amazing. Um, So yeah, let's get into it. So I'm excited to start this new year off with a story that involves so many things, love, loss, and the supernatural. So today we meet Demi Depereau, an Atomoan native who has taken flight to pursue her passion, but not without some heartache along the way. After losing her best friend, her father, in the middle of her college career, she shares how this event shaped and shifted her life. Without further ado, here's our girl, Demi. Demi, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited that you agreed to share your story with me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, tell me about yourself. Uh, let's let's talk career, family, hobbies. Tell me about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I actually am self-employed. I'm a photographer here in the Des Moines area. Um, and it's funny because I, I would never see myself as a self-employed person, but here we are. Um, but I was working in healthcare for like eight years and I worked in cardiology, which kind of mixes into what we're going to talk about, um, as a medical assistant and I loved it, but I feel like COVID kind of just destroyed the healthcare system after that. So, oh yeah. And Dylan, um, we've been married for almost five years. Um, we have a son named Dallas. He's going to be two tomorrow. Yes. And then we're expecting a baby in January which will be a little girl and um yeah and then we have two dogs we have red lab named hondo and then i have a little dog named dex and we have a giant cat named donnie so we have all the d names going on except for my dog hondo do you have nicknames for your animals as well that's hondo i usually call him derpy because he is very derpy he's yeah. a great dog like he's very good when it comes to hunting he's great when it comes and like protecting the house but then when it's like doing like tricks with him he's just like huh like, derp. okay let's go yeah <laughs> and so Dylan gets really mad at me he's like don't call him a derp and I'm like he, he is that's so good um okay so you currently live in the Des Moines area did you grow up in Atumwa I, I did I'm a okay. south sider in Atumwa why well, was uh, yes. we are too we are too we love the south side yeah you know what's wild? I mean, in teaching, like kids still associate, you know, stereotypes wow. to the north side and south side, which is so. I'm like, listen, we are from the south over here. Uh, yeah. We love our south side schools. Um, so, what street did you grow up on? I grew up on Grace Street, which was over by like Maori and like by Wildwood Drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I was really close to Taco Bell, you know, the <laughs> the mall. So that was great. <laughs> enjoyed that that's awesome and you have a very successful photography business you do beautiful work I love all of it oh my god thank you thank you yeah um and just so we can give you a shout out what is your business yeah it's Demi Lynn photography Demi Lynn photography all right there you go it's perfect it's okay you know what my Instagram handle is at Cami Milligan. So there you go. There you safe go. place. We're in a safe place. It's- All right, Demi, let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about your childhood. We talked about where you grew up. You grew up in Atumwa. Tell me about what you loved uh, about your childhood and your family as you were growing up. Yeah, I'm, I was, it was funny because I was like trying to think through some of these questions too. Cause like, I always had to prep myself. Right. Um, But like, when I like look back at it, like, I just remember, I don't know, our family, my mom was really big into watching TV a lot, and my dad owned a a embroidery business, and so she would do a thing called like trimming, which which she would like trim out the extra like fabric and stuff. 
from and the so embroidery would, business. Yeah. So right. we would like, I would always sit with her. We would be watching friends at the time it was a lot of time because it was still on. And my dad would be at the computer, either doing like business work after work, or he would be doing like playing computer games, you know, or he was a drummer. So he would tune his drums. And I just like, our family was like wholesome, but also as I like grew older, I obviously learned a little bit more about them. That was not so wholesome. I mean, everybody's got, you know, you got things in your closet, especially when you're a kid, you're so innocent. You don't think about that. But besides the point, like they were always there for us. They were like, whenever we played sports. Um, our vacations we always like would travel for vacations which is super fun and then like we had a swimming pool that was like actually a decent sized pool in our backyard so like having pool parties with our friends is like a highlight of my like childhood and so yeah it was that way I would say like if I could take anything it would be our pool parties okay so who did you grow up with you had your mom your dad siblings yeah I have a brother he is two years older than me I have to think about that um, and then I have a sister. She's eight years older than me. So, and my sister moved out probably, I would say, like, she moved to Omaha when I was, like, fairly young. So, there's a lot of times it was just me and my brother. So, that was really fun. Yeah, mostly it was just me and my parents and then our family dog and my brother. You grew up with um, a pretty close-knit family. What sort of traditions uh, or or memories do you have celebrating with your family as a child? A lot of them, like, I would think I would remember was, like, the holidays. Because, like, my dad... And my uncle and stuff there, mom, my grandma on that side lived closer. So we were literally like three blocks away from her. And we would travel to her house all the time. Bike over there, walk over there. The drive was like a minute. But just like traveling to their houses and like Christmas Eve, especially right now, it's the Christmas time. So you think about those like traditions. Mm-hmm. And like just going to their house and they would open gifts there, listen to Christmas music and then he'll go home and then you have Christmas at home and then other grandparents' house. And that's like something that I like, I, you know, it really brought the magic of Christmas. And so when I think about Christmas raising my kids, I'm like, I want that. And I want to create that magic for them too, because that was really a big part of my childhood and creating a tradition and like frosting cookies and stuff was good too. So and then just jamming out to the garage radio, you know, when you had your swimming parties. <laughs> Even if it was a party of one. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. So your family uh, was an integral part of the community. Um, so let's talk about your family business. Yeah. So um, my dad and my uncle owned a shoe doctor, which was located in the Quincy Place Mall. And they were known for like embroidery. They did shoe repair. My dad did like glove repair for like baseball um, and softball players. I'm trying to think back of this too, because my dad would tell me the story all the time, like how it started. Because my parents actually lived in Des Moines for probably like two to three years, and then they moved to Ottumwa. But it was actually at Southridge Mall to start with, and then they moved to Ottumwa and opened it there. Yeah, so it was my dad and my uncle, of course, brothers, close in age. And they argued like brothers, but they had a successful business, and it was really great. I mean, like, I loved it. I would go there all the time, and I know people visited them a lot, and like, it was kind of nice until I got to high school when, like, I would know some teachers knew my my uncle and my dad. <laughs> and so then I couldn't really, you know, get in trouble because they would find out. So it was great. Can't really get away with anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, especially when you're in Coach Kern's class, you know, and he would say, like, I'm going to tell your dad that you were walking. <laughs> so did you get to help out at all? in in the stitch doctor um not so much when it was like the shoe doctor because i was super young um but yeah like when he transitioned into the stitch doctor later i not necessarily would help but i would hang out more actually we probably did a lot more damage because i would steal clothing and not necessarily steal clothing but like oh the sweatpants look really nice and take them home (laughs) (laughs) Um, those are the perks those are the perks of a family business yeah and being yeah i mean did i have my yeah, I had my name on everything. Like he embroidered my name on my blankets, and when I went to college, he did it on my towels. It was great. Um, <laughs> about the time, you know, you're like, really, dad? Like, really? But then now I'm like, oh, and when you know they got to the point the towels were like gonna run out, you're like, I don't want to get rid of them. My husband's like, I think it's time. <laughs> but other than that, like, I would help my dad with like folding the clothes and putting them in the box in the morning for him to take back to work. Yeah. But um, the only thing is, is I would, I just loved visiting there because I would usually 
get a tree out of it after school. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. Can you share some of your favorite memories that you had there at the shoe doctor? I feel like take your daughter to work day happened way more frequently than really it should have been because I went to work with him a few times a year. <laughs> take your daughter to work day. So you would like help and I'm sure it definitely helps sales to have like an adorable little girl like back behind the counter. Yeah. That's I'm sure they're probably like, why aren't you in school? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you have these wonderful, wonderful memories. A lot of your memories are positive. You have these incredible relationships with your family. You said that your uncle uh, and your dad owned this business together, but your uncle passed unexpectedly. Can you talk about uh, what happened? It was actually, it was in February 2009 and it was my parent or my dad and my uncle and the shoe doctor still and one day it was like right after the Super Bowl that year because I remember my dad called in the, the day before and he had just gotten back from the concert and then the next day he like didn't show up for work and my dad was like oh he's probably just like running errands and he'll be in whatever he's usually late and you know he's like griping I guess in the background is Oh, he's not here at work. I'm here on time. <laughs> sure. And yeah. And so they started getting worried because, like, they had like two friends that popped in. Like, one of them was like, I don't remember. I think his name was Tony. He popped in. And then Frank Houston actually popped in one to talk to my uncle, too. And my dad was like, okay, it's like, you know, almost noon. I haven't heard from him. He's not answering my calls. So my grandma, my sister, and my mom went to go check on him. He lived off of like Bluegrass Road, so kind of far out. So they went to the house, and my sister was pregnant at the time, but she could like tell that something was off. Um, it just felt weird. And so my grandma went in, and not even like probably my mom got halfway up the drive, and my grandma screamed. She could hear from the outside. My uncle was DOA, so he had a cardiac arrest at home and he lived alone so like being whatever had happened he had obviously didn't have anybody to call for him and he couldn't call because when I'm assuming and I don't know all the nitty-gritty but I'm assuming he must have fell back or did something and he had passed away at home so and it's sad because he did live alone so he like if he struggled or anything you know like you don't know like what that last moment would have been yeah. How did that affect your family? That must have been absolutely terrifying for your grandma and your sister. It affected them pretty, pretty, my grandma, especially. And she still, I feel like has after effects of that now, especially mm-hmm. after losing my dad too, but it was pretty hard. I mean, I like, that was the first time I've ever seen my dad like cry, like legit cry. Um, Because it happened too. I was like coming home from school. I remember that because I had also seen like, I had class with, um, Coach Curran, my brother did too, and like they had found out. I heard previous, and I could be wrong, but I thought that they had found out before we did because nobody told us until we got home, which is understandable because we're at school. Like they don't want to tell us that, and um, <clears throat> which they kept it good. I mean, like if they knew anything was wrong, nobody like nobody let it go. So that was yeah. Nice. But like I just remember my sister calling me on my phone, like asking me like, "Where are you at?" why aren't you home? And I was like, I'm on my way. Yeah. I just had to wait for my ride. Um, and I was like, why are you so mad? You're acting like people are just like, I was like, I was kind of being rude, but at the same time, I'm like, don't be checking up on me, girl. Like I can, I'm good. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> and then I walk, yeah. And then I walk in the house and it's instantly like somber. My dad's crying. Mm. My mom is like, where have you been? And I'm like, I just got home from school and my brother wasn't home yet and then they told me and I just like remember breaking down in front of the step because it's like the first real impactful death that I had but like I didn't even know that like you don't I didn't even know what to do like you don't you're sad and I was so sad because we were super close but it was like okay like what does this mean you know even at like I think I was 16 but at the time you're just like I don't know like what does that mean what's death like, are you, I'm really not going to see him ever again. It's just so, it's so bizarre. Right. Especially when yeah. you are so enmeshed and you, you know, you see him every day at the shop. And yeah. so this affected your family pretty substantially. Um, talk about how it affected your father as a like partner with your uncle. Well, I mean, not only as a partner, just like as a brother too, I think it was really, really hard on him. I 
another memory that like sticks with me like to this day is the fact that like I never saw my brother cry either like me and my brother are two years apart like I said earlier we always argued it he would take me to school and I was like oh my god you know you just argue with your brother for like every little thing yeah and I just remember they were crying at his funeral and just like crying him and my dad hugged and I just never seen that before so then obviously that makes you cry because you're like oh my gosh um that will ever stick in my mind forever but my dad had to close the shoe doctor I remember because he was like I can't do all this by myself I can't do the shoes and the embroidery and all that stuff and he was like only one of the two um shoe repair people in Atoma or even like around the metro so I know he had to like close that down because I remember him like selling the shoe repair machine to a guy that like did repair in Kansas City that they were friends with that they like worked really close with um and then he kind of just because I don't think he could like run it without him because that was like the business they had together and I don't think he could like continue with that um and I remember like long nights and just you could just tell that it really put a lot of heartbreak on him and obviously he didn't share that with us because we were younger mm-hmm. but like you could tell it really did affect him and he didn't do unemployment for quite a while like probably like I'm going to say like three to six months maybe not even that probably little than that and he decided to do the stitch doctor because he still wanted to do embroidery because there wasn't a lot of embroidery around then he was like oh I will also do like screen printing yeah and so then I felt like he kind of found a little bit more of like his purpose like what he should do but he did lose it and I feel like he was super lost there after that like yeah it's a gift when you even like your sibling as an adult let alone like working with him being partners with them you know so I can imagine that that was just absolutely devastating uh, for your dad. So he opened up the Stitch Doctor. Now, was that inside of the mall? Remind me. Um, it actually started at our house, which I think. Okay. I remember my dad saying, I don't think this is legal for me to do this right here, but we're <laughs> going to try and start it. Um, I just remember because like my sister's room had like a big window in it. And he would like, he built this like soundproof area in the closet to put the embroidery machine in <laughs> and he would like run the embroidery machine at like night when we're trying to like go to bed I'm like this is not what are you doing so they're um, pretty loud I know nothing about embroidery machines yeah so they can loud. be pretty loud okay yeah um but then he also the screen printing stuff downstairs so it was like he had two different areas that he was working out of and then he finally was just like I need to find a place to like be <laughs> and not be at home so he actually found a building on church street which is, like, right across from where, like, Uncle Bucks is. I think now it, well, there was, like, a temp agency in there that, like, people could go in to, like, find a job. Um, I think they were across the hall. But anyway, it's, like, right next to that, like, postage place, too. Okay. Street. But, oh, yeah, right, right, right. moved into there. Yeah. And that was a cool spot. So he moved into this, like, little spot and finally, t- like, he, he took... He finally took everything out of the house. Uh, he had a space and you could kind of see some light come back into his uh, his eyes a little bit. What do you remember about this time of your and his life? Um, yeah, I would have almost graduated by the time he would have gotten a um, business building. because It was about 2010 or 2011 when he opened that. And then at that point, I was going to college or getting ready to go to college. And my brother was living in Iowa City, and my sister, I'm pretty sure, lived in Des Moines. But um, we were all kind of, like, spread out. I was the only baby at home. And um, for me, anyway, I was ready to go to college. Like, I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, I can't wait to go to UNI, and I'm going to have, like, all the fun in the world. And um, I remember when he passed, a lady had told, I remember hearing that, like, he would talk so highly of, like, how he was so proud of, like, oh, she's going to you and I, but she wasn't going so far away, and all that stuff, and it, like, kind of made me cry a little bit, because it was, like, why didn't you tell me that, like, and tell me that you wanted that, and you felt that way, which, again, I mean, I'm a teenager, so if he did say something, I probably was, like, oh, dad, whatever, you know, but then, like, right. when it actually really does mean something, you're, like, oh, I wish I would have just, like, listen to that more you know like I, it's that part of like you feel guilt of certain things but do I feel guilty about going to college no but I just wish that like maybe I would have stayed right and you never know how things are going to turn out um so yeah. I guess some families talk like 
are like more affectionate with like words and physical touch. Um, do you feel like your family was affectionate in that way? No. Um, my mom was struggling with a lot too. I mean, and she's obviously healed and stuff. Um, but like we, she was very kind of absent during that time too. I think like after my uncle passed away, a lot of things kind of just like shifted where we weren't, I mean, we were still like a family. Like I was trying to think today, just like coming back to like thinking about like the traditions and like family and all that stuff. But like, I mean, they, my family, my parents weren't really affectionate. They weren't like super like lovey-dovey. Um, but we also never really talked about our feelings out loud. And I could be wrong, but I feel like some parents should be like, oh, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? How are things going? But I never got that. My dad would be more caring. Like, especially when I went to college, he'd be, you call me every day. You haven't called me yet. What are you doing? <laughs> are <Right>. you still alive? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, I just took a test. Sorry, like, I'm busy at the moment. But, like, I would always call him, too. But my mom is different. She would never, she hardly calls. Now she's, now she's different. But at the time you think about it and you're like, you didn't really call me much back then, but. Right. And I think that because of everyone's different experiences, like we do the best with what we know. Right. And yeah, everyone, everyone is literally, I mean, I had this, com- I had this thought just the other day about how my mom was the age that I am now with children. And I have none of my ducks in a row (laughs) but like when we're kids we think that our parents have it all together and um and then we realize that wow uh no that is not the case at all um yeah so yeah I think it's just interesting that our parents do the best with what they like the tools that they have the resources that they had like their lives um during their lives and um and we grow up and we don't really think necessarily anything of it. But then, like you said, looking back and thinking about, um, man, I wish, wish I would have known that, you know, that can be. Yeah. Like, you mean, after everything, like, then you find out things that like they were struggling with, which, you know, now, like as a parent too, like you struggle with stuff, right? Like, you know, we all struggle with things that we like need to work on. Obviously we don't want to make that our kids issue. Now finding out some stuff that she had battled with, because I mean, we all battle with stuff and I'm not, I'm not a person to hide that. Like I do have some like depression, anxiety, and I deal with a lot of worry, worriness a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think it amplified when I had a kid because then you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's that delicate balance of, you know, what's, what is developmentally appropriate and what's not, but it's, it's interesting. Um, the experiences that our parents have and um, like, you know, compared to our own. So life is going great. The stitch doctor is super successful, um, getting ready to go to college, uh, looking forward to those things. And then the unexpected happened. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, um, it was, what year was that? Oh, 2013. So um, going to college at UNI, I actually decided I didn't want to go to school anymore. I was like, I just want to work a career. And it was funny, my dad actually told me a story like, oh, you, I think you would be great at a nursing career. And I'm like, really? I freaking don't want to wipe. No, that's <laughs> um, I was like, I don't want to take care of people. Like, I don't want to go through school that long. I just want to get in it out. And he told me about medical assisting. And I was like, great. Sounds awesome. I'm going to sign up. So I signed up for it, started taking classes. And I was living in Cedar Falls still at the time in an apartment with friends. And I was supposed to move a friend in that day. Um, in 2013, it was in August, and um, I was actually on a date with somebody. So embarrassing to say. Um, I was on a date with somebody, and my grandma was calling me, and I was like, I'm not gonna answer it. My grandma can wait. I'm busy. And so anyway, I was calling her on my way home because it was like he was a football player at a community college somewhere, and I was like, I gotta go back home, you know. And on my way home, and I call her back. And, or I listened to voicemail and she was like, something happened to your dad. I need you to call me ASAP. Um, we're going to Iowa city. And I was like, I stopped the car, like in the middle of the road. I probably could have gotten in that accident. Cause I was just like, excuse me. And so I called, I'm starting to cry. Cause I'm like, what are you talking about? I literally just talked to him yesterday. We just talked about, he wanted me to come home for the weekend. And I said, I can't, Carolyn's moving in my friend. And I was like, I have to help her move in. I want to be there. He's like, well, I'll give you gas money. I was like, I can't come home. I'm not coming home. <laughs> um, and so I remember he was just like, fine, fine, it's fine. And so I literally just talked to him. So then her telling me this, I was like, 
what? So I called her back. She's like, you need to get to Iowa City now. Your dad's getting life lighted. We'll tell you when you get there. And I was like, so I ended up having this kid that I just had a deal. <laughs> Drive me to Iowa City. Should I have chosen my friend, Carolyn, at the time? Yes. Yes, I still tell her to this day, Brian's dad, you drive me. <laughs> We're young, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, so anyway, we get to Iowa City. Yeah, it was, it's embarrassing to tell, I feel like, anymore. But um, <laughs> so I'm on my way there. I'm bawling. This kid's like, dude, I just met this girl. She's probably like, what is happening? <laughs> um, anyway, we get there. And my dad had unexpectedly had a cardiac arrest. So earlier in the day, um, he was a drummer. He was in a band. And he was at a banquet for like some golf banquet so anyway his he was drumming having a grand time but he had told them that like he didn't feel very good and so they were like you should eat something well his arm was hurting so he was like maybe it's from drumming so hard I'll eat something see how I feel so he ate and then apparently like still didn't feel very good so like you need to go home just go home rest maybe you are coming down with something you know you need to just you can go home so he went home. My mom said he like got in the bathtub. And he felt better, but then when he got back out of the bathtub, he felt like crap. So then he would get back into the tub. And my grandma had stopped by because she was going to go to market. She was working with the lady that sold stuff, like and went to markets, like in Kansas City or whatever. And she was like, "I can stay home." And he's like, "No, just go." And so she was like, "Probably across one of the many bridges we have in our town, right?" And got the call from my mom that my dad had went into cardiac arrest. But like you apparently, so my mom was sitting there and she heard him on the bed and he was gurgling. So like sometimes when you have like a cardiac arrest, your lungs can fill up with fluid. And so that's what happened. What was happening with my dad. He was, he's like clenched, I guess, like so like red. Um, And my mom was like in shock. She didn't know what to do. And she had CPR training before. But at the time, like, she just, like, didn't know. So she called the police and stuff and the ambulance. And they came. By the time they came, my grandma had arrived. And so they had, like, you know, resuscitated him, tried to get all that stuff, and took him to the Utama Hospital. Well, they had life-lighted him to Iowa City because he was already pretty. And, like, at that point, they had probably, I don't know if they induced him to a coma yet, but he was out. He had been unconscious for 15 minutes. And then um, before they had gotten there. So when they had gotten there, they brought him back. <clears throat> and of course, when you're under for that long, that like it's very detrimental to your frontal lobe, for sure. If you were to be brought back. Because when you lose oxygen at that point, it's like, that's the first thing to go, usually. When he was in the hospital, we went to all visit him. So it was me, my brother, my sister, and my mom. We went into the room. And of course, it's so weird to see your dad like hooked up to wires you know, they have him cooling down so they don't have anything on him, just a blanket covering to make sure that he is fully cooled down. That was like the first time I've ever like me and my brother like fully embraced and just cried with each other because it was just so, it's it's so bizarre to see, right? Because you're just like, he was literally fine yesterday. They had told us that um, he had two calcified arteries at that point and one of them, he, they could probably stent, but right now it wasn't looking very good. And we're like, okay, like, you know, what do you do with that? So it was in the Iowa City Hospital probably, I would say for a week, and we stayed at the Ronald McDonald House. I did go back to Cedar Falls a few times to, like, check in with, like, my schooling. I had to, like, check in with my job. And then I stayed at the Ronald McDonald House with my sister, and we were there till the day, there's a few things that happened, and then, like, the day that he officially passed, I left. I actually went back to Cedar Falls to see my friends. And I just felt like I really needed to go and leave. Like it was my time to just go. And I remember sitting there and I got a text saying that he had passed away and that he was no longer here and that they were deciding to just unplug. He was not going to survive anymore because they were just, he was almost like living on a machine at that point that it wasn't a sustainable life. And I was like, huh. And it was it almost, and I, I look back now and I didn't, I was a little sad. But at the same time, I think I was just so hit with grief that I was just like, like, he's gone. Like, he's gone. That's it. And my friends, I feel so bad for them because we're still really close now. And I feel like they were probably like, what? <laughs> yeah. So after that, I remember I went home. Yeah. Then it was just funeral planning, 
buying, you had to buy new outfits for funeral planning and the visitation. And it was so bizarre because I'm a person that, like, when it comes to death, especially like with my uncle, and then after that, I couldn't really deal with death after that. And when it was your dad and your parent, it's like, one, I didn't want to, at the visitation, I didn't want to stand at the front of the room. So I stood at the back with my friends that came all the way from Cedar Falls to come visit. And um, we were just laughing and having fun. They were sharing stories about stuff. And we were they were trying to obviously, you know, keep me occupied and not focused on what was going on. And people were, like, shaking my family's hands. I should have been at the front, but I wasn't, you know, because I was just like, I can't. I don't want to be up there. And I remember my sister was like, well, where have you been? People wanted to shake your hand. And I was just like, I'm with my friends I like I can't it's so weird to stand like I don't know a mere feet away from your family member that's like especially your parent who you were super super close with and his casket's open it's like it's just a weird it's a I couldn't do it I was like I can't I can't stand next to him and I just remember looking at her and I was like okay (laughs) If they want to, I'm pretty sure they know who I am at this point. I'm, my picture's over here. Uh, like they can come shake my hand, but like, I, it was it was really weird. Anyway, so well, and people don't know. I mean, yeah. everyone grieves differently, and there's yeah, there's no like handbook on how to do it. Yeah, I just I didn't cry a lot around people. I guess I did it a lot privately, but it was nice because your friends being there, they're like, you know giving you that ability to not deflect but to entertain and like kind of just make sure you're not just focusing on what what's happening which was nice so that's good you had like a solid support system for this entire time how long were you out of school did you stay out of school this happened and like right as fall semester happened so I was probably in my fall semester maybe for like two to three so this happened during your fall semester of did you finish out the semester then I did I actually I went to Kaplan at the time doing my medical assisting and so I emailed my teachers um and they were all really really nice they fully understood where I was coming from and just said to just finish it when you could but I'm a person that like I want to get it done just get it done so I did finish a lot or like tried to finish as much as I could, um, but they were pretty lenient, which was super nice. And it was all online. So that was good too. So you had started at Kaplan for a different degree than what you were going for. Yeah. I went for medical assisting. It was a very expensive choice. (laughs) Medical assisting. Okay. So, and this was kind of inspired by your father. Yeah. And so you're finishing this degree um, despite having lost your father, you know, mid semester how did you cope during that time you know you would talk to him like every day how did that affect school for you um schooling wise I don't think it affected me that much um personal life wise it affected me way worse because I had the mentality of like whatever I did I couldn't be touched I'm invincible uh I don't care about myself I had a lot of like self-doubt um not in the respect of like finishing school but more of like I wasn't worth anything and that sounds really bad when I say it out loud um but it was like I just lost myself I lost me completely and I would just like and this sounds so bad but I think people people go through this period of time where you just like I didn't care who I was with I didn't care what I did was it the very healthy way of, <laughs> of grieving no um would I take it back um no because I learned a lot about myself but I went through a dark period of where I just like didn't care I didn't care um did you seek out therapy or anything during that time um I did when I moved to Des Moines I but that was for not for the grieving process I in order for me to grieve when I moved to Des Moines I thought about getting I got a dog so that's where Dex came into play um my mom hated that uh but (laughs) because <laughs> I was living with her at the time um but I went and got him anyway so and he's still here with me today so um but yeah no I never went to get therapy did I wish I would have absolutely yeah again but how we only know what we know and 
also therapy can seem really, uh, really intimidating because it's a lot of hard work, uh, to, and especially, you know, speaking with a stranger about really hard nitty gritty things. Um, so yeah, no, I understand that. Talk about how life felt different for you. Well, I felt, like I said, I felt like I feel pretty lost. I'm not going to lie. I felt like, because he was the person I would call every day. I would talk to every day. Um, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't really like super close with my mom. And so like connecting on that level was hard because I just sometimes didn't feel understood. And I leaned on my sister a lot as the motherly figure. I mean, I did when I was in high school too. And at that time, my sister was also dealing with her own thing. She was going through a divorce, too. So we were kind of dealing with that. So that kind of shielded some of our grief, too, because we were kind of helping her, like, transition with two girls and that. So life just, I felt like, kind of felt like it fell apart in the regards of family. Because, like, my brother moved to Colorado. My sister was divorced and, like, a single mom with two girls. My mom is, like, trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life, where she should be. And I just felt like I didn't know where I wanted to either. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to graduate, you know, but like, where do I want to live? And and then my mom moved to Ankeny. I was like, oh, I'll move to Ankeny. And it was just like, I felt lost. I didn't know like what, where I was supposed to be, what my purpose was. Yeah. Everyone is displaced. Like everyone is completely displaced. And again, life is going on, but still there are really hard things going on in life, like with your sister and her situation. And yeah, it very foreign, very strange, very unsettled. Do you remember getting to a place where you felt settled after? I would say probably not for, actually, I don't think I ever felt like fully okay with things until I probably met my husband. I felt like that was when I finally started settling into a good, like, well, not necessarily right, like right when I met him, but during that time, I, I started to like, find myself and and like do things for me and really choosing that support system and like just really like being me and then honestly when people you know people say like oh when you are not looking is when you find them and when I found Dylan and it it was just it was nice because he did very much like help me place me too but at that time like it was just like oh this is what this is what love is I mean you are like you are worthy you are you know everything so um it probably took me like four years well and like not not to say that anyone ever I hate the term like moving on or finding closure because I don't believe in those things I don't think that that's an actual thing I think that we just we learn to um live with grief um and I have not experienced the type of grief that you're you did Demi but it sounds to me from listening to that hearing that when you met your husband it was like you found what felt to be like your worth again. And it kind of sounds like you finally found home again. Home was something like, it wasn't, it wasn't just a person that you lost. It was your father and arguably your best friend and dependability and reliability and that loyalty that doesn't come from, I mean, Yes, sometimes we have great, loyal, dependable friends, but it's different when it's a parent uh, because you know that they're never going anywhere. You have this wonderful lifelong relationship with them. And then all of a sudden home is gone. It's like your home has been completely destroyed. And so I think that's very comforting to to um, to have found that again in your husband. No, you hit the nail on the head for sure. Um, because I mean, you yeah, you, I don't feel like grief ever goes away. It never and never goes goes away and I feel like because there's moments now where I would like look at my son and I'm like I wish you could have met your um grandpa I think you guys would have like he would have had so much fun with you and it's sad because like you know and certain people believe certain things but it could also be just like maybe he did meet him before he came here and things like that you think about that I don't know some days and then I'm having another kiddo and it's like you just wish that things were a little different. And I feel like a lot of people probably feel that way. But it's like there are moments that it will kept, catch me off guard where I'm like, I'll cry. Because, you know, you, you miss them. And you're like, oh, I wish I wish I could hear your voice again. Or like, I wish you were here to help me with this. This is this hard. And I 
I'm tired of being the one helping everybody else right now. And it's like, I feel like a lot of that came on my shoulders when my dad died and when our family kind of broke apart. I was the one that had to handle some stuff and I just was like, why me? <laughs> why me? <laughs> so, yeah, I just, in that regard, I'm like, I just wish it wasn't, you're like, where are you at? <laughs> why? And you never have answers. You never, you never have answers to those things. In a previous conversation we had, you talked about some interesting events surrounding, um, surrounding your father's death, correct? Yeah. Yep. Would you like to talk about those? Sure. Yeah. No, I, I'm very, not like a super spiritual. I am. I believe in paranormal things. I believe there are evil things out there for sure. Not to say this was evil, but it, there's two things that happened to us while we were at the Iowa hospital when he was passing away. So one time was we were at the Ronald McDonald house, me and my sister. And this is when Vine came out. So I was on my iPad watching Vine. Love Vines. Oh. Can we just, oh, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. love. Yeah. I recently introduced my children to Vines, like my oldest two. Oh my God. Every once in a while, I'll catch Eloise saying, what the dog doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, you drop my croissant. That's the one <laughs> I drop my croissant. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, And we were sitting in there. I remember my sister was fiddling with the lamp that was across the room. And she's like painting her nails or she's doing something. I'm facing away. So the lamp's behind me. And I'm like just scrolling on my iPad. And my sister's like, did you just see that? And I was like, no. What are you talking about? And she was like, the light flickered. And I was like, what do you mean the light flickered? I was like, you probably turned it on and the, the light bulb's probably busted or something. And she was like, no, no, that light is flickering. And so then she tried to film it. And when she was filming it, every time she pulled up her phone, the light would stop. But then when she put her phone down, the light would flicker again. And I was like, then I was watching it at this point. And I'm like, it's giving me the heebie-jeebies. And usually I'm like, oh, this is a joke. But the light was like, nothing was wrong with the lamp, nothing. So anyway, my mom called us, said that my dad was like having some issues internally. So we go upstairs and we're like trying to talk to them. And my mom, we were sitting, finally got quiet up there. So we're now in his room. My grandma and my mom are staying in there. And my mom had mentioned how she had a dream the other night. And she wrote down the words to this song. And it was Annie's song by John Denver. And she hadn't heard it in a long time. She wrote down the words to the song. And I, like, listened to it on YouTube. Because we had to leave the room. Because they were going to do, like, an ultrasound and stuff. So, like, you just need to leave the room or x-ray. And so we're sitting at the end of the hall. And I, this is the second time I've ever heard this song in my life. And I kid you not, and it wasn't just me or my mom or my sister. This is after the lamp. We heard the word, the like tune of Annie's song, like play as the x-ray machine came down the hallway at University of Iowa Hospital. And I looked at my sister and I said, please tell me I'm not the only one that just heard that. And she was like, I'm pretty sure I heard that too. And I was like, this is no, 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 no. I looked at them and I said, I got to go to bed. I can't. This is too much for me. The light flickering. I have a freaking song I've never really heard of before playing. We got to go. So we went back down to our bedroom and we're down in there and I slept with my sister and I'm like clenched onto her because I'm like, I can't. This is so scary. Like I just, and it wasn't like, you know, feeling like super, super, like super scary, but you were just like, this is terrifying Um, because you never think about that. Mm -hmm. And I woke up at 1 a.m. and that light was shining so bright in our room that I literally smacked my sister. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, the lamp is on. The lamp is on. We had, had it turned off. It was super bright. And my sister's like, I find a lot of comfort in that. And I'm like, I'm really glad that you do because I find a lot of scariness. It was just <laughs> a lot. And apparently during that time, he had actually, my dad was having an issue upstairs. His kidneys were starting to fail. And my grandma said at that point, when we were talking about the time and what was going on, that the light flickering was happening in his room. And it had, at that time, around 1 or 1.15, the lamp, had the light had stopped flickering. It just stayed on. So it was on in their room, and it was on in our room. <laughs> and I was like, I can't. Nope, nope. Um. So, yeah. And That's it was wild. It is wild because I'd actually asked my dad, if you are okay and everything's going to be fine, can you just show me a sign? Well, uh, they went a little wild 
was said signed and I told my sister too and the next morning I was like I asked for it I asked for that sign and so then it was just crazy so yeah so oh my god so you believe that that was your father trying to communicate with you guys because he hadn't been able to yeah yeah that is wild so is that do you feel like in retrospect that that was like comforting or is it still like yes afterwards yeah but during the moment I was like no I want to leave this room I'm terrified because like the Ronald McDonald house, I don't know if you've ever been there in the Iowa city at university of Iowa, where it was located was kind of like in the old, you had to like go through like the old um, psychiatric ward to get there. And like, if you ever see like a scary movie, if you look down one hallway, it's like flickering lights down that hallway. So you're just like the grudge girl could be like walking down there any moment. And you're just Absolutely. like, I'm stuck before this <laughs> elevator gets here and so I was just like but the Ronald McDonald house area was really nicely like remodeled so you like had to pass through a certain door to get to the nicely remodeled area but if you stepped outside the door you're like in this creepy spot and so it's just like I'm like I can't stay here anymore dude I got I go home this is like that's too much that's nuts um and then yeah he like shortly passed away after that have you had any other experiences um, since or have you ever or have you kind of felt his presence in other ways? Not like I've had him in dreams where I could hear him laughing or we have commu- or like conversations, not nothing like too like life changing. But I've had it where like we've had conversations and dreams and stuff where he's visited me, but nothing like nothing like that like a like a tangible physical thing that you can't attribute to anything yeah. else yeah right he's probably like i scare the shit out of her <laughs> we did have a med- i did go to a medium though like shortly after he had passed i went to a medium okay after. and what how what was that like um i was we were both skeptical because and it's sad too because i will just say that that lady also got diagnosed with cancer and she passed away recently so it's really sad to hear that oh no um but she was super good too. We she didn't know anything about us either. We were very kind of skeptical, and then we went, and it was in Iowa City, and um, we were at her house, and so she was talking about my sister. But then when she like got to me, some of the things that she like verified it was my dad was like, um, talked about my uncle. He had a um, not my dad's brother, but my mom's uh, brother-in-law had like an accident where his leg got cut off, or like he got in a motorcycle accident. So he verified it by that, but then he also verified a few things about like what I struggled with in high school. I struggled a lot with like I didn't want to be here type of thing. Um, very like dark. Um, talked about that, and then talked about like you know you need to be on a pedestal. You're worthy. Just like very like okay, you know like I did. I've talked about that before by myself. I've journaled about that, and so just bringing some of those things up, I was like all right well you're here (laughs) yeah so it was a good experience that's wonderful that yeah you were able to get that message from your father about being worthy and that's amazing we had another one recently too back in 2021 too i had another medium reading too do you want to share some about that way better well not that the other one wasn't but this one was more like it was back in April, 2021. And I did it with my, one of my best friends. We did a joined one. So this girl, like she would like contact this, you know, a spirit. And then like, would you tarot card reading, which I don't do a lot with that anyway, but I was just interested in the whole, you know, contact. Absolutely. Is it going to be my dad? He had verified like the day he had, my dad had only gifted my mom right before he passed away a dozen roses. Um, He hadn't, hadn't done that in a long time. So she talked about the dozen roses with my mom and my dad. And not a lot of people knew about that. So I was like, mm-hmm. I remember that. Um, and he had told me that I was in the right field, that he was never creative like me, but he kept going like this to her, like I should be doing photography. And that I, he was like, I don't have a creative bone on my body. I don't know where she gets it, but she needs to stay where she's doing, which was nice because I was having a lot of doubt at the time. Like, am I in the right field or should I be doing this? Those are the two important things that he took away. He also told me not to worry about like my, because I worry a lot about my grandma, my mom, they don't really get along. So like, I worry about like keeping all that in track. And it was like, leave them to me. You need to not worry about them. 
stop worrying about them. Stop worrying about your mom. Stop worrying about your grandma. Like, so that was nice too. But yeah, and then I had asked her, it's funny because I was thinking about like getting pregnant and if I was pregnant and if I was going to have a kid or not. And literally I emailed the lady on Monday because I was like, hey, I forgot to ask you a question. I don't know if you can ever answer this or not. She never responded back. But that day when I got back from work, I actually found out I was pregnant with Dallas. So I, yeah, I emailed her and literally got home and I'd taken a test. I was like, I'm just going to take a test. And I, it was positive. And I was like, I literally just asked her today. I was going to have a kid. And here we are. That's not just by happenstance. Those are, those are very deliberate things. That's incredible. There's something too that was like the way he had explained or was explaining myself to her was really funny because it was like, I do do that. Like <laughs> I am doing that. It was really, it's, it's interesting um, that like she was explaining what my dad kind of looked like. Oh, he's got like darker hair. You know, he's got like these glasses. Um, You guys kind of like look alike is what she said. And I was like, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. <laughs> and she was just like telling me how like, you know, he's showing that like you look through life as like rose colored glasses that you're like very just like you connect with people and you laugh a lot, but you're also like looking at your life and saying, is there anything more in my life? Should I be doing more? And like, I'm doing things repetitively, which at the time I was working my full-time job and I felt like i you know, really wanted to go full-time with photography, and I was like, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, and it was kind of giving me that, like, feeling of, like, like, you never take big risks in your life, you should start doing that, you stop living this monotone thing that you're doing, he was, like, saying how, like, I always try to look on the bright side of life, that um, I was, like, in this energy of, like, optimism, positivity, talking about that, and then he was like, but there is a downside to that, that you haven't really taken and it was like talking about like how I'm never I'm afraid to like take chances and I'm afraid to like you know take any type of like adventure I mean that's consistent with you know that that feeling of like being unworthy and like oh my god if I fail then that's like is confirmation of you know like your fear yeah and then he just like mentioned I feel emotions very deeply and things like that which I do and that um Oh, and then she was, like, seeing the male energy, which she was connecting with, which was my father. And then talked about, like, I'm doing a coasting thing with my life. He knows I'm capable of doing more. And What a dad. That, like, what a dad yeah. thing to say. <laughs> it was just, like, now, like, reading through all these notes, I'm kind of just, like, oh, my God. Like, he was literally there still cheering me on. It was just yeah. it was super nice to be. So, yeah, it was a good experience. That's wonderful. I think that's so important, especially because his death was so sudden, um, to have those little reminders and that encouragement is awesome. Since then you have, you have done amazing things, um, and you have chased your dreams and you are doing photography full-time, correct? I am. Yes. Which is crazy. Well, and you're so very successful, talented, and I would echo what your father said about being positive, seeing the world, um, seeing all the beauty in the world through your rose colored uh, glasses. And um, I have absolutely loved like just getting to, I mean, I feel like I've been following you um, for a while with your photography and just like appreciating all of the, um, like your vision and your eye, like you are so very talented. And so I think it's, it's, it's been an absolute joy for me to get to interview you and like sit down and talk to you about these things. Demi, talk about and reflect on, um, you know, things that you have learned in the past through grief um, and through this whole process. Definitely like grief will never fade. It will always be there. You're going to have days where it's super, super hard. You're going to have days that are, that you feel on top of the world. And that definitely like, you can't let it control your life though. I know it's hard. It's easier said than done that like you can, you can either let it destroy you. You can let it like help you. And I feel like it's helped me a lot more than anything else because I've been able to like, I don't know, especially like when I went into my medical assisting career, because I worked in cardiology for eight years and like helping, I just being able to meet people who had like went through cardiac arrest and survived and they've had like their ribs broken or like, you know, when they were resuscitated and all this stuff. And it's like, you are so lucky to be here. And it's like, some people don't make it. 
And I, I would, and it was funny because like I would have, I would tell that story to some people, and I had one couple that was like, "Oh, what happened to your dad? Like, I hope your dad's okay." And I was like, "Yeah, he's great." I like didn't have the capability or the like heart to be like, "Well." His outcome didn't come out as good as yours. That he's here for a reason, you know? Right, yeah. So right. it's just like. That message is true for people who haven't even had cardiac arrest. Like, I mean, speaking of like some of the dark times that you, um, that you struggled with, I know that a lot of people struggle with, um, with really debilitating thoughts. You have a purpose too. You know, I have a purpose too. Like people who are listening have a purpose and, um, and are worthy. And I know that you talked about how you struggled with that feeling for a long time. And, um, I just, I think it's important that, that people are reminded of their worth the way that your dad, uh, reminded you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I tried to reflect that too. on like, uh, some of my work too, like just in the photography that like to both people, you know, like you are worthy, you're strong, you're beautiful and you're here for a reason. And you know, you might not know what that reason is right now and that's okay, but you'll learn, you'll figure it out. Right. Just don't give up. Yeah. Demi, what advice would you give to someone who has lost a parent or is maybe, uh, navigating that, that space right now? That even, I mean, again, grief is never going to go away. So just kind of putting that to the side because it's like I feel like we think about like oh is it ever going to get better and it will get better it will get better you're going to have days that you're going to like fall apart and you're going to miss them and you're going to want to hug them but you can't but just knowing that like looking back at the memories that made you laugh and those that like really helped you through the time that you did have with them like I tried to think a lot like yes would I love to have 80 years with my dad absolutely but I got 20 and I'm grateful to have had 20 because that's better than anything, right? Some people don't even get to meet their parents. They don't get to meet their dad. Their dad passed away before. Their mom passed away before. They don't get to meet them. And so it's like looking and trying to look at the positive aspect of I did have him. I learned from him. And maybe now with his passing, I can take things for granted. You just really love the way, you know, things are and trying to find the good and stuff. Right, right. And there's and your- have a good support system. Yeah. So, okay. Then what advice would you give to those people who are supporting someone who has uh, suffered a major loss of, of a parent? Um, just be there for them. Be kind. I mean, be kind to everybody, but being there for them and that knowing that like if they're having anxiety or they're like being distant or anything like that, to try to take it to heart because a lot of times it's probably not you. Most of the time it's not you. It's, they're probably just dealing with something that like, they don't want to burden somebody or they don't want to like, I've had that feeling where like I've been down where I don't want to talk to people because I'm, I'm feeling very upset and I don't want to make that person's day worse or like, I just want to like, I don't want to bring that down on them. So some people might distance themselves because they don't want to burden you and just being there for them, no matter like, it's like, Hey, I'm thinking about you or like, it's okay. You can have these feelings, but just know I'm here for you. In whatever way that you need me, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you have done an amazing job of kind of demonstrating and and talking about you know what was helpful for you. Um, I think that um, I think that your story is a lot of people could relate to like in lots of different ways. Um, but I think overall, I think it's been a great reminder for uh, for you, for me, for everyone listening that, um, yeah, live in the moment, be thankful for what you have, um, and don't sell yourself short. Demi, I have so enjoyed, um, our conversation and, um, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we touched a lot. I feel like yeah. I just rambled a lot. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. Well, Demi, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing your story. You guys make sure that you go check out Demi Lynn Photography. Go follow her, go book her. She is an incredible artist, has a wonderful eye and uh, is literally the most bubbly, lovely human uh, to sit and chat with. So I'm certain it would be the best uh, sesh. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, That's it for this week's episode, you guys. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. 
Today's episode was made possible by our local online Facebook boutique, Pink Amethyst Boutique. My husband and I started this Facebook boutique community about seven years ago, and we would love for you to join us. We're an online boutique specializing in confidence, love, and comfort for all women of every age and stage of life. We carefully select and offer beautifully crafted articles of clothing that will last for seasons to come. It's much more than an online boutique. It's a community of women who share the love of comfort, style, and feeling good in their own skin. Please join our Facebook boutique at Pink Amethyst Boutique on Facebook. We'll have new pop-ups coming this spring. All new members will receive free shipping on all orders through June. Again, make sure to join our Facebook community by searching Pink Amethyst Boutique or just email me at thebepodcast at gmail.com if you need help finding us. All new members receive free shipping on any order through June and existing members get a 10% discount on their next purchase with us by simply rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing our pod. Join the Bee Podcast community on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. I'm trying to get better at posting on Instagram. It's just the millennial in me. Anyway, finally signing off with peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been the Bee Podcast.